two weeks ago, we heard that not only does God work in spite of adversity, but he capitalizes on adversity. Totally. Um, so in adversity, like the gospel tends to flourish. So I've been thinking about this. If God uses adversity to advance the gospel, not that, I mean, it can be advanced without adversity too, but if he uses that, it really messes with my prayer life. I'll tell you why, because oftentimes, like, when I'm praying for something, I'm praying for God to change my circumstance. Like, God, get me out of this adversity. Get me out of this problem. Take away this hardship that's in my life. Protect me so I don't have to experience this kind of adversity or just in general. God, would you just please make things go better or make things go my way? And I don't want to say that we shouldn't pray for circumstances, um, but I wonder sometimes... I look at my own prayer life and I wonder, could I use an adjustment in what I pray for? Because if the gospel is advanced by adversity, then do I really want to pray for the adversity to, to stop? Um, it's kind of hard to know, I think, sometimes what to want. I think Paul's going to speak a little bit to that today. Um, but sometimes I think things get out of whack in our prayer lives when we're constantly asking God to change circumstances, which might be the very type of circumstances he tends to use for the advance of the gospel. Um, so I think at least we have to move away from God. Would you make things better for me and make things go my way for, for my sake, just so that things are better for me, to God, this willingness to say, God, would you make things go like your way and for your gospel's sake and help help me to operate within that, whatever that looks like. Um, help me to, to um, uh, contribute in that and not just try to get that away from me. Um, so I, I don't know how to like go about the change in myself and thinking through well, what, what should I change and what I pray, except to say I think it's worth asking the question, this is just introductory, it's not really based on the passage today, but I think it's worth asking when we pray, why am I praying this, whatever I'm praying, um, and not be too quick to just pray for something just because it seems to be a little bit better. Um, and again, I think there's reason to pray for circumstances, um, but in Scripture, oftentimes those reasons are, are, are most of the time, maybe all the time, seem to be because of the gospel, like for the advance of the gospel or, or for the sake of the glory of Jesus, here's the type of things that I'm praying. Um, so I think it's worth asking why do we pray what we pray for. Um, so just to review for a second, Paul is in chains in Rome and he's awaiting a trial from the Roman court, probably facing one of two options, either being released or um, death seems like also a, a potential option. Probably, from what I read, probably by decapitation. That would be a pretty typical way to do it. <coughs> To look about a couple weeks ago, or what we kind of saw, why does Paul seem to be okay with, first of all, his imprisonment? Why is he just kind of like, well, this is, why does he seem to be okay with it? You guys remember? If you like, turn to Philippians 1, you can look and 
Verse 13, 14. Why is he down with this imprisonment? What's what's happening as a result? It's been come known throughout the whole imperial guard. Yeah, everybody all around is hearing about Paul and this message that he's proclaiming. So he's like, okay, that's the gospel is being advanced in that way. Um, and he also, what else does he say? Another good result in verse fourteen that he mentions. emboldening other believers. Yeah. So like this this horrible thing of being in prison, which most people are trying to get away from, Paul's saying, oh gosh, I look at this and I see that, man, it's my the testimony or what's going on with me is actually emboldening other believers to preach the word without fear. Um, why is it okay then, like a little bit, a couple verses later, why does Paul feel okay with the fact that some people are preaching Christ out of rivalry or envy? Yeah, the, the gospel is still being preached. He says in, in verse 18, there's Christ is proclaimed, and for that I rejoice. So Paul is rejoicing at the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, and the gospel is unscathed by these circumstances. The gospel is invincible. I'm going to use that word a few times tonight. It's like, what are you going to do to try to stop the gospel or to try to come against the gospel? You're going to throw adversity at it? Well, that, it might just flourish in that context. It's invincible. So Paul, I think he wants to see the Philippians who are also beginning, it seems, to go through some, uh, some persecutions and will more. He wants them to see that circumstances, the good circumstances, the bad circumstances, they, these things all can be used to proclaim Christ. And... Um, when the Philippians start to receive persecution, I think Paul would just tell them, hey, it's it's okay, Christ is proclaimed in that. When I um, first moved here, when we moved here, you guys know I started, I was asked to come on the North Hollywood Midtown Neighborhood Council and as the religious institutions represented. <laughs> And to get the to get onto the board because it wasn't an election time, um, I had to stand before the board of fifteen or twenty people and one dog. And um, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. But, I mean, it wasn't a board member, but one of the members. Yes. I always said, yes. Carol. Um, Carol's the owner, not the dog. Great <laughs> 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 dog name. Um, and then there's a group of 20 or 30 people from the public that are at the meeting. Anyway, they're, they're asking me questions to see if I would be an appropriate person to have on the board. And honestly, it was, it was um, I felt adversity. The questions that they were asking, there was, I'd say the majority of the board members didn't just love the idea of this Christian from a a background that we're just not sure about. It's not like one of these mainline denominations that we've heard about before. Um, they weren't real, they didn't just love the idea. So they're asking all these questions about what we know. We live in a very, you know, a very uh, liberal society and our churches believe lots of different things. And um, they're, they're asking me questions about what, what do you believe here? Do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? And do you believe all these things? And so there's this, this sense of, um, of, of conflict and of adversity. 
But the cool thing was in that, like they're asking, one of the guys specifically asked, he says, what do you believe? He said, like, what do you guys believe? And so what do I get to do but share the gospel with the 50 people in the room that are listening and say, well, I believe in Jesus. He was a real person. He came to this earth as God's son. So I go through the whole plan. It's like this is the perfect it's adversity, but it's like, man, what a, what a great opportunity just to be vocal about the gospel. And so everybody repented and were baptized. <laughs> Even the dog. <laughs> um, so all that to say, Paul saw that all circumstances in life, even adversity to the gospel, those, these were opportunities for the advancement of the gospel. The gospel is, is invincible. It can be advanced by good or bad things, and it can't, it can't be come up against. So let's, um, let's look at Philippians 1, 18 through 26. And I'm just going to point out a few things about this. Um, if somebody doesn't mind just to read Philippians 18, just the last few words of verse 18, and then down to 26, just kind of the start of that paragraph, probably in your Bible. 18b to 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which, uh, yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in time you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Okay. Paul's desire was, judging from a couple weeks ago and this week, is what's best for the gospel? What honors Christ the most? What proclaims Christ the most? And in this passage, Paul takes things to the most ultimate level of, even if it means death, let the gospel go forth. Let Christ be proclaimed. I think it's worth, like, we, we can get the gist of this passage without a, a ton of study. I think it's worth just taking a moment and thinking, wow, like, Paul is literally saying in, in life, in death, whatever it is, um, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the, the glory of Jesus being known, I, I'm open to, to whatever it is. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And by the way, Paul is kind of setting himself up in some ways as an example for the Philippians to follow. So he's, um, in a sense, they should be taking on a similar attitude. Um, so just a, a few details in this. Verse 19 says that this, or these, these circumstances that he's going through, will turn out for my deliverance. This adversity that he's facing will turn out for my deliverance. What does he mean by deliverance? What, what are your thoughts, ideas? What, what's deliverance? What does he mean to be delivered? 
turnout for my deliveries. What do you think you, you might? You don't have to be convinced of it. <clears throat> well, I tend to think, like, ultimately, like, we're delivered from our body of flesh and sin and uh, the chains and stuff, so we will um, ultimately reign with Christ and be delivered from this mortal curse and death. And, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's good. So, like, there's an ultimate eternal deliverance. Yeah. What else could he be talking about? I mean, he's he's kind of saying, like, if I'm delivered from this prison, that's deliverance. And if I'm killed, that's deliverance also. Yeah. That, like, whatever happens, I'm delivered. I'm delivered. Yeah. That's good. Um, so, like, a, a lot of people that I was that I was reading in this passage, they're trying to figure out, well, which is Paul talking about? What kind of deliverance is he talking about? And the word that is used for deliverance is most times in the New Testament, it's translated salvation. And most of those times, it's talking about eternal salvation. Like, that's the type of deliverance that Paul uses when he's using that particular term. Um, but at times, this salvation or deliverance also means from a particular situation or a particular trial. So it can be both. I think that Paul is using the term, kind of like you're saying, Clayton, like purposely to, to mean either or. And um, I think, like, as, as much as I can tell, the person who is originally receiving this letter, that's a kind of ambiguous term to them. They wouldn't necessarily land exactly on which one he's talking about, deliverance from prison or deliverance um, in, in death to being with Christ and deliverance into eternity. And so that's why he says, by life or by death, Christ is, is honored in my body. I will be delivered. And I love just the underlying kind of um, encouragement to us that there is in that, that to those who, who persevere, deliverance will come. And it might be in this life from this particular trial that you're going through. If not, it will be in the next from, from this body or this the, the world as it is, or the opponents of, of Christ. But to those who persevere, I love, to those who persevere, deliverance will come. That's what Paul is saying, at least in his circumstances here. To Paul, it meant he could stand before the Roman court and, like verse 20 says, not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I'm going to be delivered. Whatever your, your jury or however they work it determines here. And I can honor Christ with, with courage. It's kind of what, what you're talking about, with freedom. And cur this courage that it mentions in verse 20 that Paul says that he can have is courage it like outspokenness. It has this idea of public courage, like boldness in, in what you say. So Paul's saying, I can, I know that I'm going to be delivered. I can speak boldly. I can have courage. And mind you, he's like headed off potentially. One of the options is his beheading. And he says with eager expectation and hope, I, th I hope that things are going to go down like this, that I will have courage to speak as I ought about the gospel, knowing that all things will turn out for my deliverance. So in this we see not only is like the gospel resilient and, and, and invincible, 
But Paul, in Christ, is, in a sense, invincible. Like, what are you going to do to Paul? He's going to be delivered either way. You can set him free. Oh, praise God, he's been delivered. You can kill him. Okay, we're praising God because now he's been delivered. He's not in this suffering and trial anymore. Um, and he makes then one of the most profound statements in Scripture, I think, in, in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he says. Now, what do you guys, break that down. What do you think to live is Christ? What is he saying in that? What are some of your ideas in and what that means to live as Christ. It's kind of an awkward sentence. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I think that's maybe a similar idea. So it's almost as if I'm living for the, for the purpose of Christ. I'm living on behalf of Christ. My life is about Christ. Probably all of these things combined together. My life, my, to, to live is Christ. That's the point. That's the purpose. That's what my life is about. And your to, new yeah. identity. It's identity. Yeah, it's your new identity. Sure, that's good. Mm-hmm. And to die is gain. So what's to die is gain mean? You get to be with Christ. Okay, you get to be with Christ. So Second um, <laughs> Corinthians five eight. We're of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when we die, uh, when a believer dies, I should say, we're we're with Christ. We're in the presence of Christ. So of course, well. That's a, a type of gain. Like that's how I think um, that's how I've commonly or usually kind of understood the passage. Do you have something? Okay. Yeah, like when you die, you gain eternal life. Yeah, in, a, in an all new sense, you have you have you enter into uh, eternal life. And, yeah. Do you guys see like is there, is there anything else besides uh, get to be with Christ in eternal life? Um, that to die is gain might actually mean addition. An end of suffering and being in prison and just like the okay. hardness of this world. So it's it's gain for for Paul in those ways. Yes. Could it be potentially he is a greater example by dying for Christ? Okay. So so this is gaining believers. You know. Gaining ground for the gospel. Okay, yeah. So check this out. The the word that's good. Tim. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. <laughs> the the word for for die here to die is gain, is actually not a, a different word that could be used, which means the the state of being dead, but to die to die is is the it's the act of dying. It's the process of dying. It's not just the state of being dead, which, yes, he gets to be with Christ, and that, of course, that's, that's true also. That's good, and that's certainly gain in Paul's life. But there's a gain that is, can actually happen for the sake of the gospel for those that didn't die that get to witness that. Just like all of Paul's other in- imprisonment and trials that he goes through, that's, those can be used for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, the glory of Jesus, and so, yes, to live as Christ, we're going to, there's, there's something, if, if Paul gets to be set free and he gets to, like, it seems that he expects that he's going to do, we'll talk about it in a minute, if he gets set free, that's, that's good, and he gets to live on for Christ, but, but to die, like, Paul, it, it's not just an easy out for, for Paul, but it's gain for the gospel. Like, if I can die, yes, things would be better for me, but Paul's willing to go to his death or go through the process of dying to proclaim the gospel. 
So the gospel, like it, there, the gospel faces like its ultimate adversity, right? Like the unbelieving world sees somebody dying as like worst case scenario. When Paul understands, hey, that could actually be gain. Like if you think my proclaiming Christ in prison is having some good effects, wait till I'm proclaiming Christ while my head's being chopped off. Like that's there's there, that's gain. There's something good that potentially will come out of that. And by the way, I will end up being with Christ, so it's it's gain for me as well. I I think that's that's in there as well. In fact, he talks about in verse 23. He says, "My desire is to part to depart and be with Christ, but that's far better. Like he that's even for himself, just to be with Christ. That's what he wants. But there's even gain beyond." Oh, Paul doesn't have to worry about anything anymore. He's with Christ, but there's gain in his death itself. I love, so again, that's just showing Paul is, he's invincible. Like nothing can stop his deliverance. Nothing can stop the invincibility of, of the gospel. And what I love about this is I think this really screws up the enemy. Um, when the gospel is advanced by adversity, Sometimes thriving in the worst case scenarios of somebody dying, like things are out of control for the opponents of the gospel in that situation. And it, I think it would send the enemy into a tailspin that, that nothing can be done to, to stop what God wants to do. Um, next week, uh, I think this is, I haven't studied it yet. Um, Randy will get there. I think you're. Um, in verse 27, it says, if you, like, as you're striving side by side for the gospel, he says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So as you're, like, as you're living with this, with this view and, and this, this invincibility and you understand about the God, as you're living in that, you're not frightened by anything by your opponents. What can you do to me? I'm going to be delivered either way. The gospel is going to go forth either way. It says this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. It's like this is going to freak them out. The opponents of the gospel can't do anything to stop the gospel, and they can't keep those who are boldly proclaiming the gospel from being delivered. I love that. And you guys, I don't know if you hear some of the even modern day or even ancient stories of the martyrs who died for their faith, but there's, I mean, look it up sometime. I, I didn't want to take the time to read through them today, but there's, there's this idea with, with people who are about to be killed for their faith that it's like you can set them free and then... People are going to praise God that they've been delivered and they're going to preach the gospel boldly because of that. Or you can kill them and they're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to bear it. Christ will be honored in their body. And then we're going to praise God that they've been delivered from that situation. And who knows what the ripple effect and the gain of the gospel is going to be in that situation. So either way the gospel goes forth, either way the person is delivered and the enemy is like, what can I do? Like, you can't, you, I can't cause more adversity because then the gospel is going to thrive more. I can't just kill this person because then the gospel might flourish more. Um, so I, I love that. It's like, um, it's, it's so powerful for the way that we live, which this works only, by the way, when we're seeing things with the perspective that, that Paul sees things with. The enemy ha- is, is powerful and he can, he can really, um, mess things up badly for 
those believers who are confused into thinking that death and adversity are the worst things that could happen. He can capitalize on that, and that can really go awry. But for those who are persevering, that's kind of what Paul's talking about, because of the prayer of the saints, because of the empowering of the Spirit, he talks about in verse 19. In that scenario, Satan always loses. The opponents of the gospel always lose. Because the gospel is invincible, and in Christ, we are too. So I'm sorry for the break here, but our... Um, camera shut off, and so I'm going to finish the teaching uh, the next day to you, but go over the same material. So um, anyway, so Paul, he goes on to wrestle in this passage, kind of wrestle in his own mind. What's the best course of events? Uh, so in verse 22, he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. So Paul's honestly wrestling between the, the benefits of being set free and the benefits of dying. And he says he's hard-pressed between these two things. He's greatly burdened by it. It's this idea of being constrained, almost chained in, trying to decide, like, man, it would be, it'd be so good to live. There's so much good, but it'd also be, it would be good to die as well. And um, I just think, man, that mindset is incredible, and you don't just arrive there uh, at at conversion. It's not just some immediate thing. Obviously, man, I'm I'm converted, I'm following Jesus, and I immediately enter this mindset of to live is Christ, to die is gain. But it's a process. It's part of the sanctification process that we arrive at um, over time. However, um, I do uh, at times. I don't know about you, but feel. Um, that I can associate with Paul or I can identify with him in this idea that to die is gain. Um, every once in a while in my life, I, I, I have this sense of, man, it would be so good to just depart and to be with Christ. And I think in our sanctification as we grow, that, that becomes the case maybe more and more in our life. But often when I'm thinking about the alternative life, I'm thinking about what I want to get done in this life. I wonder if you've ever made the statement, oh, I hope Jesus returns soon, but before he returns, if he could just let this happen first, then um, I'll be happy to have him return. Or if this could just happen before I die, I'll be a happy man. Um, for me in high school, that was just wait to return God until I can get married and have sex. And um, I think that's a common one that I heard around me as well. I don't know, there, maybe there's things, others that you've heard. If I could just take this vacation, or if I could just see Coldplay in concert, then I'll just die a happy man. Um, but for Paul, he didn't think that continuing to live was for the purpose of accomplishing or getting to do any of these things. For him, it meant fruitful labor for Christ. So as Paul's wrestling through this, putting things on the scale, well, which is better, which is, which is worse, he's not thinking, well, what could I accomplish out of this life? Like, that's not even on the scale. Like, he's, he's not only mature enough to know, hey, to die is actually good, is actually much better being with Christ, but he's also mature enough to know that the reason for living is Christ and fruitful labor for him. I was thinking it, it's tempting to preach this passage and try to and feel like I need to convince people 
that being with Christ is better than anything that you can imagine in this world. That anything that you can imagine getting out of this life is better than that. But that's not even what Paul is arguing. Like as he wrestles between the idea of, well, the benefit of life, the benefit of death, he's wrestling between honoring God in life and honoring God in death. And there's not even a comparison between the pleasures of this life and the, the pleasures of being with Christ, as if that was somehow even on the same scale together. Like, he doesn't even mention it. It's, it's like, obviously, to die is, is far better than anything this world affords. Like, duh, to die is better. Life isn't about getting what you want out of it. Paul's going to say, if I continue living, here's what I want. I want fruitful labor for Christ, for the glory of Christ. So he's, he's going beyond a step to, to die is better. Of course it is. But, but which of these two is better for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of Jesus? I wonder how we, how we would benefit um, from, from viewing things in that way. Obviously, dying and being with Christ is, is better. Uh, but what is more advantageous for the gospel? So Paul's weighing these two options, the benefit of life and death, both of which are okay because, remember, the gospel is invincible, and he is invincible. And he goes on in verse 24. But to remain in the flesh, like my desire is to be with Christ, obviously, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul apparently expects to join the Philippians again because he finds it more necessary for the Philippians' sake that he stick around in this life. So he expects that God will deliver him in a, in a temporal sense, that kind of deliverance, which means for him, that deliverance means fruitful labor, it means remaining with the Philippians for the progress and joy and faith, and, and then it means reaching this overarching goal that Paul has of the glory of Jesus, that Christ would be glorified as he returns to the Philippians. And I love here Paul's confidence in knowing what is more necessary, as he says. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, living and dying, but there's one of them that's more necessary. I'd venture to say that if we shared the same perspective as Paul, that the gospel is invincible, that we in Christ are invincible, we will have a better understanding in life of what is more necessary, or what is God's will, you could say. We might know how to pray more according to God's desires. If we're not scared off by death or swayed by a, a selfish agenda in this life of what we can get out of this life, if those things are kind of put to the side, then Paul can say, well, this seems better, so I think this is probably going to happen. I'm confident that this will happen, because at this time it means more glory for Christ when I return to you. It's so cool that that perspective, that invincible perspective, it removes some of the fogginess of knowing God's will, right? Like, um, I can, if I can just put that to the side, if death and, 
and life are kind of almost on a neutral ground and I'm not, I'm not swayed by those things or I'm not concerned with, oh, which is going to happen? Am I going to die? I need to avoid that. Or what about all this adversity and this suffering? If those things are put to the side, then I can see a lot more clearly, I think, like Paul, we can see a lot more clearly what, what is the will of God? What is the, what is the best thing in this circumstance? What is more necessary? So, just to end up, here's what we can be assured of. We, we will face suffering and adversity to the gospel, but that's okay because the gospel is invincible. We are invincible. We'll, we'll be delivered regardless, either from the situation or eternally when we're with Christ. And what Paul's describing is kind of like what we talked about in the beginning, this, these uh, lenses that Paul looks through, these gospel and sanctification lenses. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, these, here's, here's how I see life. Philippians, you're, you're about to go through some similar things. Here's how I want you to see life. Put on these glasses. And if we can grow in our faith that to live is Christ and to die is gain, and we can look through those glasses, then our lives will be to the glory of Jesus. Uh, Gordon Fee says, in a world that has lost its way, believers in Christ Jesus have the singular word of hope. We expect eventually to depart and be with Christ. For Paul, this was a yearning. For us, too often, an addendum. The point to make, of course, is that such an orientation gives us both focus and perspective in a world gone mad. And I think we need this perspective for the glory of Jesus. Now, just to end, um, I wanted to point out, uh, as I read this book, and I read a lot of Paul's writings, sometimes I think to myself, does, does this dude ever take a break? Like, does, can he ever just relax? The lifestyle that he's describing seems so overwhelming and strenuous and like so much work to try to honor and glorify Jesus and every last little thing. And this is the entire purpose of my life. And like, what about just enjoying life? And does everything have to be about Jesus? And does it always have to be such hard work? Um, I just want to uh, give you a little story of when I moved here to North Hollywood. I remember um, walking around uh, town, just talking to people, making conversation. And I remember stopping at a Starbucks just around the corner here at Lancashire and Magnolia. And uh, there was a, a guy sitting in front of Starbucks and he was asking for money or food or something. And um, I sat down next to him and started a conversation with him. A really cool conversation. He was really open to talk about whatever. So I shared about my life. He shared about his life. We started talking about faith. Um, he was apparently hungry, so we uh, went to lunch. I bought him lunch. We talked more about the gospel. and um, It was just a really cool opportunity to get to share the, the good news of Jesus with this guy. Now, he didn't... Um, he didn't at that moment, receive Christ and decide to repent and be baptized. Um, but I remember walking home down the street, Clump Avenue, I remember out of habit, I kind of reached into my pocket because I was going to check Facebook. And I remember, uh, you know, swiping to unlock. And just as I was about to hit that, that open the Facebook app, 
I remember thinking after what I just experienced and the life that that brought me and the joy that that brought me, I remember thinking, I don't even care what's on this social media. Like it, it doesn't even matter to me when I'm dealing with and, and interacting with, with life and death and, and matters of eternity. See, I used to think and still sometimes do, but I used to think that evangelism and sharing and proclaiming the gospel of Christ, I used to think, well, this is, this is a burden and it's just something that I have to do and oh, I don't want to have to do this all the time. If I can just do this once a week or once a month, then I'll be good. But the reality was I found that in that moment and in moments since then, that sharing the good news of Christ, proclaiming Christ, seeing his glory proclaimed and put out there, has brought me more joy than anything. I've experienced, I think, what Paul says, to live is Christ. It's, it's not a burden, it's good. It's to live on behalf of Christ is what we were designed to do. It's not, oh, I have to do this. Um, but, and we can experience living for Christ in anything that we do, not just when we're sharing Christ directly in conversation with somebody, but anything we do in work and in leisure, everything. Um, and so I think that the best part of having this gospel perspective that Paul is talking about is the best part for us anyway, is that it leads to something in this life. And that is joy. So if you look at um, what we studied two weeks ago, how that passage ended when Paul says, hey, Whatever happens, Christ is being proclaimed. The, the gospel is invincible. Christ is being proclaimed. He says, and in that, I rejoice. And then if you look at the beginning of our passage this week, which ends with talking about, well, the Philippians are going to know the, the, the glory of Christ. They're going to glory in Christ because of me. All of that happened. This idea that, that Paul is invincible, well, that is preceded by this idea. At the beginning of our passage today, he says, yes, and I will rejoice because of this. So there's this emotion, this, there's this outcome that follows from us. It's not a burden that we've had to do these things, but as we live with the gospel as invincible, with my, my life as invincible, the result of that is the glory of Christ, and the result of that is in it, and in glorifying Christ, we find joy. And we're going to talk more about that joy theme uh, in the coming weeks, but for now, I just dare you to try living with these glasses on, and let's see together if we aren't rejoicing as we see Christ glorified.